Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, and especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. The military-industrial complex not only controls our government, but they control our culture. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had men and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Pray on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. You can deny all the things I've seen, all the things I've discovered, but not for much longer, because too many others know what's happening out there. And no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. It's about time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects, 
vast and cool and unsympathetic, regarded our planet with envious eyes. Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. Broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert in the beautiful state of Arizona, I'm your host Ryan Gable, and this is The Secret Teachings Radio. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email us, as always, at rdgable at yahoo.com. Find us on social media on Gab and Gitter and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings. Check out our website for my books, our affiliate sponsor, Pro One Water Filters, our Patreon page for behind the scenes content. And if you are listening in the advertisement archive where the show is free on our website or the many radio and podcast players, I ask you to please leave us a review. Give us a couple of stars, whatever you think we deserve. And if you'd like to get rid of those pesky, annoying advertisements, the monetized ones, you can subscribe to our archive at thesecretteachings.info. You'll get access to all the shows, all the montages. You'll get digital copies of all of my books. You'll get access to the show when it's pre-recorded, before it airs later on in the evening. And you'll also get a physical copy of one of my books. Free shipping in the U.S. when you sign up for one year. That's all at www.thesecretteachings.info. And I really sincerely appreciate all of you who have bought a book or subscribed. It keeps us on the air Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Today is Earth Day. And uh, I forgot it was Earth Day until I was going to bed last night and I was laying there thinking of what I'm going to talk about tomorrow. So tonight, Friday, April 22nd, and then it dawned on me, it's Earth Day. I have to talk about the Earth. I have to talk about the trees and the plants and the shrubs and the insects. I have to talk about all the the wonderful things that are around us. Things that we uh, ignore, things that we walk by, that we ride our bikes by, that we drive by every day and we don't give much thought to it all the life around us all the all the greenery you know unless you live out here in the desert where i live and you don't see a lot of green but you know it's also a very very common misconception if you live in the desert uh, we have one of the most diverse um uh, systems uh in the country out here in the southwest you just don't see it you know in the in the typical green fashion but there's a tremendous amount of life out here in the desert uh, it's just a different kind of life. And uh, that's why I, I find it strange how people that proclaim to be environmentalists, and it's even here locally in Tucson, there's news stories all the time about how the desert is getting drier, about how the, the cacti, particularly the, uh, the saguaro cacti, the cactus, big famous cactus, you know, and all the silhouettes, all the movies, um, you know, the you've got... I think it's like the organ pipe cactus, which is more so in, in Mexico. And then you have the saguaro, which grows pretty much solely now here in the Tucson area. People transport them up to Phoenix, and there's some down in uh, the, the very northern point of, uh, of Mexico. But, uh, you know, they, they say that these cacti are, are dying and that they're not going to be around much longer. And that's because of climate change and drought. And when I hear that, 
I mean, I'm sure that it's more complex than than what the, the, the media says. It's more complex than what these environmentalists at universities say. But it always confuses me because I always think this is the desert. The life that's out here, the plants, the insects, the rodents, the animals are adapted to the desert. If you bring more water to the desert, like when it rains here, it rains here every couple of months, and then we get monsoon season after the summer, things get green really, really fast. There are seeds here that are adapted in the ground, carried by birds in the wind, that are adapted to this environment. So it rains a little bit, and the wash that I have right outside of my my studio window here it rains a little bit. That thing fills up because, you know, the ground is very solid, very hard, very dry. So, you know, we can have flash floods very easily. So when the water, you know, starts rushing in, into one of these washes within a couple of hours, let alone a day, there's green stuff everywhere. But that also then changes the landscape. If you were to suggest, as a lot of the environmentalists around here do, that we need to we need to bring more water and we need to make the area more moist and you know it's just too hot and I, I just think it's the desert. Of course it's hot. It's like ninety degrees every day. But yes, it is a dry heat and it doesn't feel like humidity. If you were in Florida where I grew up, ninety degrees in Florida, you, you better pray to God because <laughs> you might not make it. Ninety degrees here isn't that bad. You can go in the shade and it drops down to like it feels like seventy. It's it's beautiful. I just don't understand how people can think it's dry, so we should bring water. Well, if you bring water to the dry area, obviously you can moisten it, but then the the the, the diversity of life in that dry area changes. And that's okay. That that happens naturally. Over over decades, over centuries, over thousands of years, over arguably tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or millions of years, places that used to be Desert become jungle. Places that used to be jungle become desert. Places that used to be uh, more tropical aren't so tropical anymore. That's just a natural part of, of life. That's a natural part of the revolution and the evolution of the planet. This idea that because something is, is dry and hot that we should make it moist and cool changes the diversity. It changes the landscape. It changes the, 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 the whole biological a component of that area. And that doesn't make any sense. So when they're talking about like saguaro cactuses around here, I'm thinking if if you change this, like they grow in this environment because of the, the climate. If you change the climate, they won't grow anymore. So changing the climate to preserve them isn't going to preserve them. It's going to kill them. It just doesn't make any sense. I was also reading this thing in the newspaper. This is from... Uh, a local Tucson newspaper, desert preservation rule unenforced. Something that a lot of people here in the desert don't know, and I'm sure, you know, whatever state or whatever province or country you live in, you probably have preservation rules, preservation laws, and people go protest and there's climate activists that protest and they have their, they hold up their signs and they chant their slogans. But in a lot of places, you already have preservation laws. And people are like, we need to preserve things. But you already have laws. They just need to be enforced. It says, Tucson has failed to enforce a policy meant to preserve native plants like saguaros for at least the past 20 years, a shortcoming that officials said 
saps limited groundwater, hinders the city's climate goals, and wreaks havoc on the area's iconic southwestern landscape. This law goes back to 1997, and it requires developers to preserve at least half of the native plants growing on the lots where they want to build. It covers 29 species and includes special protections for saguaros and ironwoods, which is where I live. I live in a little ironwood area, only allowing 30% to be uh, bladed rather than the 50% rule applied to other plants. So there are rules here that developers are supposed to protect a certain percentage of the native plants when they build. But those rules, those laws are not enforced. So you cannot say we need environmental action when you already have, in some places, a lot of, of different forms of laws and protections. They're just not enforced, and there's no consequences for violating them. So that leads people to, to demand these harsh, draconian measures that rather than protect you know, a saguaro cactus, it means that you have to drastically change your life to the point where you're no longer living. You can't drive your car. You can't go on vacation. You can't even have bags for your groceries. You probably won't even get groceries. You'll, it'll be like Shanghai. The government will bring you food. And that'll save the planet. That'll keep everything nice and, and cool and nothing will warm up. And everything will be be wonderful, but like we we just we we need a pers- we need the perspective on this of 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 first of all statistics like is the planet actually hotter is 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 the planet actually drier is the planet actually browner I mean that's why I called the show tonight the pale green dot because you know that famous Carl Sagan quote about the pale blue dot you can find that audio you know on YouTube or anywhere the, the pale blue dot. Upon further consideration, this is where we live. Every king, every peasant, you know, you know, you know the thing, like Joe Biden said. You've heard probably the, the pale blue dot. I'll play it later. Carl Sagan, the pale blue dot. And I thought, well, it's the pale green dot because the planet actually is greener today than it's been in a very long time. Very little of the planet is actually browning, and that's not necessarily even due to human activity. According to the largest satellite study, conducted on on the greening and browning of the planet the planet is very green according to nasa there there are more uh green things today on the planet than there have been in decades so so our our conception of what is earth and earth's status its health status is grossly grossly out of context and we have been grossly misled by people that i think want to do the right thing they want to help they want to protect and apparently some people don't understand that if you change the desert it's no longer a desert and all the things you're trying to protect they end up dying yes new life will come but you're not going to protect ironwoods and saguaros by bringing so much water to the desert that it becomes a green landscape and the cactuses don't know how to survive in that you know it's it's like earth day brings with it like this carefree, joyous celebration of nature. And and while everybody is celebrating, you know, to honor the planet, we print these, we print t-shirts, we have hand some people hand make t-shirts, we print signs, we hand make signs, and they all proclaim our love of Mother Earth. Oh, we love Mother Earth so much. We hold festivals with food and drink. We watch documentaries that echo our views and we grab our reusable shopping bags to go get our groceries to have a an Earth Day birthday dinner. But I was thinking about all of this because last year I worked at a at a cooperative uh, grocery store and they had an Earth Day birthday celebration. 
and I'm watching the Earth Day birthday celebration. I mean, they had it every year. I worked there for three years. They had it every year. And I, and I worked the one day they had the Earth Day birthday, and I watched them. They set up their, their tent outside. And it's, it's, I'm not critiquing it. I'm just, I'm watching it, and I'm, I'm watching them hand out, you know, like snacks, like they gave out fruit and things like that. But they also gave out packaged foods, and they gave out, they had like beer tasting. And I'm just sitting there thinking, I don't go around telling people that I'm a good person. I don't go around telling people that I don't use plastic. I don't go around telling people I use paper. I don't go around telling people, you know, that I'm a I'm a I'm an environmentalist. But it, but it, but if the people like in this case, the place that I worked, the people that were running the Earth Day birthday always told you about how great they were, how they were learning about environmentalism, and how they were out there saving the planet, and how they hate plastic, but they would come to work every day with single-use plastic cups from Starbucks, and they would be giving out things in plastic wrappers, which I'm cool with plastic wrappers. It preserves food. It makes food more abundant. I mean, these are things that we're supposed to be working towards because of climate change. It's making food less abundant and less accessible, although that's not true by any means. We have more food today and more people than we've had at any point in in recorded history, and there's so much food, we're just basically throwing out a lot of our food now. So you have... I mean, obviously, there are places that don't have a lot of food, but that's not because there isn't the technology. There isn't the availability of the food. There's distribution issues. And in the places that don't have that food, you've got warlords, you've got political strife, you've got civil war. So that that all has to come into the equation. If you want to talk about how those other countries don't have food, there's a lot of other reasons for that. But I just don't understand how someone with a single-use plastic cup from Starbucks can tell me that I'm a bad person because... I'm not celebrating Earth Day. You know what I mean? Nobody literally accused me of that, but that's the feeling. It's like, you're a better person. Now, I don't honestly think that many people who celebrate Earth Day think that they're better people. I'm just looking at the hypocrisy of, we love the Earth, no more plastic, but here's your plastic Earth Day tote bag. We love the Earth, no more plastic, but here's your cotton shirt that says Earth Day, a cotton shirt that in order to balance out like with the cotton reusable bags in order to balance out the amount of energy and chemicals and water and transportation energy and all that that goes into making it you'd have to reuse that bag on average hundreds if not thousands of times and you'd have to wear that shirt hundreds or thousands of times in order for it to to be in balance with nature so you print the signs make the signs print the shirts make the shirts and um, we give out reusable bags like Today, I went down to uh, uh, Natural Grocers here in Tucson, and if you're a, a member of Natural Grocers, you get a free reusable bag. That's the second reusable bag they've given me this year in the last couple of months. I have to use those bags statistically at minimal 131 times up to 1,000 plus times, depending on the data you look at, in order for it to be viable, in order for it to be environmentally friendly. I don't know about you, but I don't think the oldest reusable bag I own, I don't think I've used maybe more than 50 times. Plus, they just, places keep giving these out. Look, reusable bag, reusable bag, reusable bag. I mean, how many of these are you going to produce? If you take that reusable bag and you get and you, you get rid of it because it's dirty or because eventually they break before you can use them a thousand times. So if you get rid of that bag, what happens to that bag? That bag is not going to biodegrade like paper, or plastic. 
plastic will biodegrade quicker. The new plastics, from what I've read, will biodegrade quicker than one of these cotton bags. Not to mention the cotton that's grown and how that's produced, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's not, a, it's not an environmentally friendly thing. The T-shirts, the signs, the reusable bags are made of materials like cotton, plastic, and other chemicals that are really the antithesis of, of the green label. And I always go back to this study from Michigan and Cornell. I know it's a single study, 600 people, but it, it gives us an idea of things that, you know, I think it gives us a scientific base for things that we've probably all experienced uh, circumstantially. And that is looking at 600 people and breaking them down into these different groups. Cornell University and Michigan University found that people who are interested in saving the planet, protecting the planet, people were least likely to do things that were green when they believed that something needed to be done to save the planet. This is what the study reported. The group that was highly concerned about climate, the highly concerned group was the least likely to take individual action, but they were the most insistent on government action. The skeptical group, in contrast, was the most likely to recycle, use public transportation, and do other environmentally sound things all on their own. Skeptics were least likely to endorse costly government regulations and mandates. I mean, Earth Day, I don't think that the common person is using it to make other people feel guilty. But the hypocrisy that's underlying within the Earth Day celebration for me, from my point of view, is intended to make people feel guilty for living on the pale blue dot, as if we're some kind of foreign parasite that's not been created, that's not evolved here. And we're told that this pale blue dot is becoming brown, which is not true, and that its green is becoming paler, hence tonight's show, The Pale Green Dot. And that it's ushering in that same pale-faced rider of the apocalypse, chloros, from where we have the word chlorophyll. So, you know, if you look back into the the mid-20th century, there's a policy report that came out from Stanford Research Institute. And it advocated for a number of things related to the environment and and non-related to the environment. Uh, One of the things they advocated for was, quote, youth rebellion against societal wrongs which has manifested in social media justice warriors and political correctness. It also involves climate because of social justice for climate, you know. And then, of course, the Stanford Research Institute said, quote, experimentation with new family structures and interpersonal relationships. I don't think I have to explain what that means. And then there was another report from Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, if you remember that document, that said the same thing, quote, the family unit must be carefully disintegrated, end quote which is what Black Lives Matter said. They want to disrupt the Western-prescribed family unit. Stanford Research Institute also said that uh, they would see, we would see the, quote, emergence of the conservation ecology movement, which, of course, relates to Earth Day, green movements, and sustainability directives from the United Nations. They also added, quote, women's liberation movement and black consciousness, which, of course, have manifested in extremist women's rights groups that have destroyed feminism and Black Lives Matter, which wants to destroy the family. Now, the, uh, the famous report from Iron Mountain on the possibility and desirability of peace, which began in 1961, concluded that, 
quote, we must first reply as strongly as we can that the war system cannot responsibly be allowed to disappear until we know exactly what we plan to put in its place, and we are certain beyond reasonable doubt that these substitutes, inst- uh, these substitute institutions will serve their purposes. So in replacing war, they came up with a, quote, sophisticated form of slavery, end quote, that is a, quote, absolute prerequisite for social control in a world at peace. Here are some of the things they came up with. Massive global environmental pollution, societal-oriented blood games, a comprehensive social welfare program, mm, UBI, new religions, climate is a religion, fictitious alternative enemies, and a comprehensive program of applied eugenics. That's a statement from the report. Now, maybe you don't think that the report from Iron Mountain is uh, is a credible report. So how about we look at something like um, the Club of Rome in 1991. They wrote in the first global revolution the following. In searching for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea that pollution the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine, and the like would fit the bill. Now, I believe that that is not just, you know, as on the surface it sounds like they're going to use pollution, global warming, water shortages, etc. by name, but these are like fictitious enemies. We have to fight the strong hurricanes and storms. We have to fight the flooding and the fires. We have to fight global warming. We have to stop it. It's a fictitious enemy. And this is found time and time and again all throughout the 20th century. Universities, think tanks, governmental, corporate, all proposing that we use environmental issues to reshape society. And now we know that that reshaping is being done in the name of of a virus and in the name of saving the planet so that we can reset the global order and replace all of the current infrastructure, all of the current systems with a new system. And so now we have to be sold something that was a conspiracy yesterday as a solution to the problems that, well, when we look at the data as we're going to in the next segment, don't really exist all here on the pale green dot. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. rdgable at yahoo.com, thesecretteachings.info. There is a lot more after this. Plus, we have a guest coming up in the second hour. You don't want to miss the show. Stay with us, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. The music tonight, White Bat Audio. That's White Bat Audio on YouTube. You are hearing the sound between that which is above and that which is below. It's KTLK, Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. The Secret Teachings is finally available on nearly every podcast platform, from Apple to Spotify and Podcast Addict. Search the name and start listening today for free. But if you want to avoid those annoying ads, head on over to thesecretteachings.info and subscribe to the ad-free archive. It's got old shows, new shows, and you can also download Ryan's digital books. 
Subscribe today. What are you waiting for? The end of the world? If you enjoyed the secret teachings and want to hold years of my research in your hands, visit our website and grab physical and digital copies of my books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, theology, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. And food philosophy might just change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. Remember, shipping is always included with the books. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and get your copy today. The Secret Teachings is now on Gab and Getter. Search Ryan Gable on both to find the show or stick with The Secret Teachings in the Metaverse. People ask me all the time what they can do to take control of their lives when facing a daily onslaught of dis- and misinformation. I say take control of your body and mind with water filtration. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on our affiliate sponsor link with Pro One Water Filters at the top of the page to search for a water filter for the home, camping trip, and even the shower. They filter countless contaminants and make a wonderful gift for friends, family, and yourself. That's Pro One Water Filters at thesecretteachings.info. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now, the Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell. My website is jordanmaxwellshow.com, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with your host, Ryan Gable. Do you have everything you need to explore The Secret Teachings? I've got my secret socks on and my secret TV and my secret TV channel. Looks like SpongeBob's ready. Are you? Hey, this is John Peasy at JohnPeasy.com, and I'm here with Ryan Gable from The Secret Teaching. This is David Icke from DavidIcke.com, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. So in searching for a new enemy to unite us, the first global revolution, the Club of Rome in 1991 said, we came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine, and the like would fit the bill. This also aligned with policy recommendations from the Kennedy administration back in the 60s and the Stanford Research Institute, all advocating for other social changes by using, quote, youth rebellion against societal wrongs that would also i think include all of the very young environmentalists and social media justice warriors that incorporates the political correctness and uh, groups like um you know you have extinction rebellion and others that they, they just they don't want to have kids because the, the planet is uh is going to die uh, or it's already pretty much dead and there's no point in having children because uh the, we, we've used up all of our resources and the water is polluted, the environment is toxic, and we're all pretty much dead anyway. So if you want to have any any lasting effect on the planet that's beneficial, well, then you need to have uh, you know T-shirts that say Earth Day and signs that say we love the Earth and recycle, and we need to have uh, documentaries that tell us how bad we are for you know eating animals, which 
personally, I don't eat animals, but it's not because of environmental issues that relate to uh, globalist, uh, corporate, uh, mega banking, uh, international, non-governmental organization uh, groups uh, because of Davos or the World Economic Forum that tells me not to do it. So I have an issue when people are telling us that the, the, the planet is dead, that, that, that we are killing the planet, and that if, if we want to stop it, we just need to have reusable shopping bags, paper straws, that this will save the planet, this will save everything. If you look at the statistical data and the factual scientific data, let's look at a reusable bag really quick. In order for a single reusable cotton-based bag to be worth its environmental weight, it would need to be used 131 times according to the UK's Environment Agency. For paper bags, they would need to be used three times, and for plastic bags, four times. Now, are you going to be able to reuse a paper bag three times? Very unlikely, depending on what you're carrying in it. A plastic bag is much more sustainable because it gets wet, and it doesn't dissolve. The handles don't break as easily. You can typically carry, because of the handles, more weight in these bags, so you technically need less of them. I mean, I'm not advocating for excessive plastic use, but the Danish EPA found that cotton bags, in particular, would need to be used over a 1,000 times to account for manufacturing effects on climate, including ozone, water, pollution, and toxicity. Although paper decomposes quicker than some plastic, it also is you know, much less durable. And, and, and when, when California made those paper bags the standard, the consumption and the purchasing of plastic bags skyrocketed. People just went out and bought more plastic bags. It, it didn't stop the production of plastic bags. It just forced businesses to have to buy paper bags instead of plastic bags. Plus, in some places, you can still buy the plastic bags, you know, or you, or, or you have to buy the paper bags. And I don't know who's getting a cut of that, but somebody's getting a cut of that cash. Somebody's getting a cut of that money. When you factor in harvesting, manufacturing, and transportation of paper, more energy is consumed, more water is used, and there is more pollution. And when you consider the same factors for electric cars, not necessarily including batteries, it's found that gasoline vehicles ultimately emit the same or less CO2 over a lifetime. I mean, despite the marketing of electric cars as having zero emissions, the reality is pretty much the opposite. Electric cars have to rely on energy that produces the electricity, which exclusively comes from fossil fuels. And, of course, the manufacturing of these cars in the production process is more energy intensive, mostly for the battery. What has to be done to, the, to Mother Earth to get those resources is visually devastating. And it's rarely talked about um, but due to battery capacity, most of these cars have a limited range, especially in relation to gasoline-powered vehicles. So when you add all of this up, over the lifetime of an electric car, it produces about 26 tons of carbon dioxide. Now, on the surface, a gasoline car produces about 34 tons, so that's a 24% reduction in emissions. But due to the fact that the battery life is insufficient in electric cars, the vehicle has less power. This means more driving on tires and asphalt that are produced with fossil fuels and because you ha- you ha- you're having to transport you know, less with each, with each trip and you can only drive so far with each trip, when you factor all of that in, and, and most of the energy for these cars is coming from coal, which is also heavier to transport and doesn't burn as clean as natural gas or oil, 
despite the fact that we have you know new technologies, this essentially means more pollution in the air, essentially meaning that the 24% lifetime reduction actually gets gobbled up very quickly, and gasoline-powered cars ultimately are more efficient, and they are actually cleaner statistically than an electric car. An electric car is an Earth Day birthday shirt that you drive every day. You care about the environment. It's a green shirt, but it's made with chemicals. It's made with cotton. It's made with lots of water and lots of energy, and it's not really that green. It's not really that efficient. It's like leaving, leave that shirt out in the sun. It'll fade. That's what the green movement really is. You leave the green movement out in the sun for a few minutes, and it fades to what color it really is which in most cases, it's, it's a very red color, uh, but that's kind of a separate topic for tonight. A lot of people also haven't considered this. This is something that, you know, I just, I talked about it on another show, and then I thought about it before tonight's show, and I was like, I, I got to mention this. You know, all, because of the pandemic, all the face shields, the masks, the gloves, the extra food containers and bags, all, all this stuff has increased the amount of waste we produce in a way that, if we wouldn't have had a pandemic, quote unquote, and 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 this is what's kind of really strange. It's like the people that are the mindsets that are hell bent on having pandemic restrictions forever are also environmentalists. But environmentalists that don't like plastic are uh, they're okay with shields and masks and gloves and food containers because we got to stop the pandemic, but we also have to stop climate change. So let's lock down and stay inside and wear masks and gloves that. Well, I, I find them all over the street and all over the sidewalk and all over the park, uh, even out in the in the the mountain park here in Tucson where I go. I've seen masks on the trail out in the middle of nowhere. People just throw their masks. What about that plastic? What about that material? What about those chemicals? I mean, the the, the love of Earth and the hatred of plastic ignore the benefit of plastic in preserving food, making it more abundant, and providing for more sanitary conditions in all areas of life. And 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 see, the thing is, none of this means that we should throw plastic bags in the street. None of this means we shouldn't use a reusable bag. None of this means that we should go onto the market for a car and find the biggest gas guzzler that we can find, buy it, and then drive recklessly. It doesn't mean that we should have disdain for the planet. I love nature, but that doesn't mean I want to pay the World Bank to live. I love nature. But that doesn't mean I want to pay Klaus Schwab because I'm a dirty human being. We shouldn't be acting like buying a reusable bag or getting a free one on Earth Day or using paper straws with plastic wrappers or no straws at all. Just use a plastic lid, which uses more plastic than if you just use the straw. Or I love the toothbrush example. We shouldn't act like owning a toothbrush made of recycled yogurt cup is saving the planet. Think about this. The average person in developed countries generates between 1 and 10 pounds of waste a day. The average toothbrush weighs about 15 grams. That's about half an ounce. Human waste can be converted to between 16 and 160 ounces a day. Considering that most people rarely replace their toothbrush, the recommendation is four times a year, most people, uh, they replace it two to three times a year. There's virtually no significance produced, no significant reduction produced by using, you know, toothbrushes to save the planet. Buying a recycled 
yogurt cup toothbrush or a bamboo toothbrush, the amount of weight and the amount of times you replace that compared to the amount of waste you produce in a single day, I, I just shake my head. It's baffling. And besides, uh, you know, when you plastic straws, plastic straws make up a percentage of plastic pollution on a pie chart where you can't even see the slither, the sliver. Slither, see the serpents in my head. The, the, I got the snake venom in my head. I said the slither. <laughs> it's the sliver, a tiny sliver of the pie chart. And besides that, all the plastic pollution in the world, nearly all of it comes from Africa and Asia. Which means that in the United States, if we completely halted the use of plastic, there'd be virtually no outcome. There'd be no change. The plastic would still be dumped into the ocean, mostly through rivers that empty out into the ocean. But once again, that doesn't mean we should pollute. It doesn't mean we should buy those gas-guzzling cars. I mean, do people honestly think that? The replacing of plastic with paper seems like a green and progressive idea, but once more simply demonstrates the symbolic nature, no pun intended, of the gesture, and that's really all that it is. We're not saving the planet through these gestures. Despite our societal and cultural perception that the world is getting worse, it's getting more dangerous, more racist, more unfair, more sexist, more bigoted, it's more, more, more evil. Well, the reality is the exact opposite is actually happening. If you look at the numbers and the statistics and the data and you, you obtain this context and perspective from history, life isn't so bad. Poverty captured 50% of the world's population in 1950. In 2022, 9.2% of the world is in poverty. And that's not because of changing definitions. That's because of increased wealth. Literacy has increased over the same period of the last Three quarters of a century. In the 1950s, 36% of the world total was literate. Today, it's 86%. Life expectancy has more than doubled over the last century, a century or so, increasing from 30 years on average to 72.6 years by this year, 2022. And much of this has resulted from better access to clean food. Part of that's because of plastic. Because of clean water, part of that is also because of plastic, having access to the food in the water, being able to transport it. It's also a result of increased knowledge of hygiene, better sanitation, and waste management. I don't know about you, but from today's modern perspective, I feel like I'd had an issue living in a, 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 a city where we literally just dumped sewage into the streets, where we literally just had rotting flesh, feces, urine, and, 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 and even medical waste just dumped in the streets. I mean, England is famous for this. England is like, they've had, I think, more than any other city on this planet, uh, in the last two centuries, they, they were one of the, I think even today, like we consider London to be like the most polluted place in the history of mankind. Like it was so bad, the air quality, uh, the, 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 the feces and the, and the stuff in the streets, like it was disgusting. The horses and all that is disgusting, but that's not how it is today. I mean, I've not been to, to England. I've not been to London, but 
Uh, I don't think there's feces in the street anymore. I mean, if you go to Portland, there's feces in the street, but that's <laughs> for a different reason. San Francisco, which I think they're pretty much tired of uh, the progressive politics in San Francisco. They're looking to overturn things on a local level, I've been reading. But, you know, th- th- there. I mean, yes, there's trash from homeless people and trash because morons throw trash out their windows. But, I mean, our streets are much cleaner today than they've been at any point in history for the most part. I mean, we can... We can clean the trash up. I think some cities don't clean the trash up because it would it would raise prices and it would cost money to clean the trash up, so they just let it kind of be crappy so people don't move there. I think that's that's part of how, how some cities treat it, uh, which is ludicrous. But I, I don't know. All these things, when you think about them and put them into context, you realize that the, the, the Earth Day celebration, the Earth Day birthday, yeah, it's a fun little thing, and, and I enjoy it too, but... I mean, it's really just a scam. <laughs> if we're if we're gonna be if we're just gonna be frank about it, it's a scam. Is all that it is. It makes us feel for a day that we're, for, especially for people that don't ever give a damn any other day. It makes us feel that we're we're doing something to save the planet. We're getting T-shirts we otherwise wouldn't buy. We're getting trinkets we otherwise wouldn't buy or you know have. We're getting uh, you know uh, free food, or we're buying food, and we're having drinks and plastic cups that are re, you know not reusable at festivals, and and it's just all one big hypocritical thing, and it, it's 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 bothersome to me because this this whole Earth Day thing is like the planet is dying. Let's save it. Is it really dying, or you know, or is the human is the human race? Are we really concerned about ourselves? Do we care about the planet? It's like I think George Carlin said it best. Environmentalists don't care about the planet. They care about having a clean environment. They care about themselves. I, I, I tend to believe that. I, I think most environmentalists, on the surface, they care about the planet. But deep down, they're worried about how they feel and how they are viewed by others. Because if you say, I love the planet... Who doesn't agree with that? I love the planet, too. I love nature. I love the javelinas out here. I love the roadrunners. I love the saguaros. I love the, the pipe uh, pipe uh, cactuses, the organ cactuses. You know, I, I, I love the little pincushion cactuses. I love the lizards. I love the snakes. I love everything about the desert. I also love nature other places I've lived. I love the beach. So it's like if you if you say, I love the planet, that means, okay, you're immediately initiated into the cult. I don't want to be a part of the cult. I'll bring my own bag to the store. I'll walk and ride my bike when it's feasible. But you're not going to force me to not drive because I've gone over my my driving limit. You're not going to force me to buy things that are environmentally friendly that aren't actually environmentally friendly. You're not going to force me to apologize to a corporation or a bank as a a social uh, virtue, as a social demonstration, like a struggle session in communist China to say, I'm so sorry that I exist and I harm the planet. Let me pay you at the World Bank to save the planet. I'm not going to do that. We're told all these horrible things are happening because of climate change. and More people are dying and more people. None of that's true, though. In the 1920s, climate-related deaths reached 500,000 from storms, wildfires, floods, and droughts, and extreme temperatures as well. By 2020, climate-related deaths were below 25,000 well below 25,000. Heat waves peaked in the 1930s and then dropped back down to previous levels. And for some perspective on all of this, we know that increased warming 
means that more people are going to survive extreme temperatures because more people die in extreme cold than they do in extreme heat. More people die in average cold than average heat. So for some perspective on this, if you want a little bit of perspective on this whole thing, uh, increased warming is estimated to save about 166,000 lives a year. Roughly 4,508,326 people die a year in extreme cold. 481,411 people die in extreme heat. According to The Lancet in 2015, that's a prestigious journal, they looked at 74 million deaths in hundreds of locations in dozens of countries. And they found that there are 17 deaths from cold compared to every single death from heat. 7% of all those deaths were caused by cold, whereas 0.5 were caused by heat. Heat saves lives. We're told that flooding is worse, but that's only because if if a non-populated area floods, we don't really care. But if a populated area floods, well, obviously that's going to affect us. Going back to that thing George Carlin said, environmentalists don't care about the planet, they care about their own little environment, their own little habitat. Obviously, flooding anywhere is considered the result of climate change, but according to the United Nations, there is, quote, a lack of evidence and thus low confidence regarding the sign of trend in the magnitude and or frequency of floods on a global scale. The UN goes on to say, quote, trends in floods are strongly influenced by changes in river management. So if we adapt to changes in river uh, uh, river uh, height, if we you know, we, we adapt and we innovate, uh, if, if, if we can protect ourselves from things that we blame on climate. Like if we never adapted to storm surges and overflowing rivers that, that overflow naturally, like they inundate, like the Nile, and we never built dams, then yeah, we'd probably suffer from more flooding. From 1903 to 2018, inflation-adjusted flood costs in the U.S. rose $3.5 billion to $12.8 billion. We say that's because of climate change, but climate change plays no role in this increase because despite this massive increase, we have more housing units in 2017, 2018 when this data was compiled compared to 1903. The last half century has also seen the average size of a house increase pretty much double and prices overall have almost tripled. Flooding costs more today because we have larger homes and more valuables, all of which are much more you know, expensive, than we did 100 years ago. The cost of flooding based on the percentage of GDP over the last 100 years has actually declined. And plus, when it comes to flooding from rising sea levels, we ignore the fact that ocean levels have risen a foot over the last century and a half. Since the 1800s, sea levels have actually risen a foot But now we're worried about rising sea levels today as if it's a new thing. And the same is true for fire. We have people building more homes that are more expensive, that are larger, more valuables, and high-risk locations. But the number of acres burned by the millions has declined sharply since the 1930s, likely back to the the 19th century even. Globally, the area burned has declined from 1.9 million square miles to 1.4 over the last century. Despite the increase in amount of crop and pasture land burned, areas of disturbed lands or recovering lands burned have actually declined. There's been a steady decrease and decline in fires and damages over the last century of about a third. This is because of forest management, including the creation of fire breaks. We're also told animals are going extinct. We're told that there's more trash. It's like animals that we study that are already in limited supply are, of course, going to be 
of all the animals we studied, so-and-so are going extinct. If you study extinct animals, extinct animals are going to be the, the, uh, the conclusion of the study. But when you look at something like a polar bear, polar bears actually aren't extinct. There's more polar bears today in the world than there were 10, 15 years ago, 20, 30, 40 years ago. They tell us half the species on this planet are going to be extinct in the next couple of years. Statistically, it's more around 0.7%. How about trash? If you consider just in the U.S. over the next 100 years by 2100, after you factor in population growth, you could fit all of the trash. That's increased population, increased products, increased waste. You could fit all that trash into a single landfill 18 miles on each side. 18 by 18 by 18 by 18. Break that trash accumulation up over the individual states. You would need a landfill in each state over the next 100 years with increased population of two and a half by two and a half by two and a half by two and a half miles, two and a half miles on each side. That singular landfill would consume about 0.009% of the entire U.S. landmass. That's that's everything, all the trash. But, I, you know, I mean, we, we could do things like place our scraps in, in bottles. If we're going to throw out a bottle, put our scraps in a bottle. That that could save room, right? I mean, it's negligible, but you might feel better doing it. A lot of the things that we have that that we consider to be, you know, uh, waste producers are things that make life easier and, and make life, you know, for some people more worth living. I mean, e- even certain forms of pollution have declined over the last few decades. We emit 21 million tons of particulate matter every year now compared with 35 million tons in the last 35 years. Sulfur dioxide emissions have dropped from 20 million to 4 million tons annually in the previous 30 years. Particles like smoke and soot, the leading polluters, the leading pollutants, have declined in the developed world as well as you know these other pollutants at, at an equal rate uh, since the 1970s u.s particle pollution has dropped 37 percent other pollutants likewise have decreased and, and here's the thing that um i find really disturbing when we consider co2 to be a pollutant um, co2 results in a greener planet with fewer water shortages because plants with more oxygen lose less water Overwhelming evidence shows that from 1980 to 2020, the entire world has been made greener at the size rate of three, it's like two to three continental United States of more green. That's the whole United States, more green. The world has become more green. According to a 2016 publication, the biggest satellite study of the planet to date, the past few decades have seen that about half of all the vegetated area in the world is actually getting greener. Only 4% is actually getting what we would say as being browner. I mean, we have a regenerative reforestation programs, more efficient agriculture, more efficient vehicles, more efficient planes. I mean, carbon dioxide is, is assisting in greening the planet. More CO2, bigger plants, more productive plants. They hold more water, therefore reducing drought. That means more food. And we have more food today than we did 50 years ago when we were told we wouldn't be able to feed the population in the future at three or four billion, but we can feed today pretty much eight plus billion. And we're going to have more food in the future and, and better life in the future than we even do today. More wealth. We're going to build things. We're going to adapt. We're going to innovate. We're going to find new ways to recycle, new ways to, uh, to, to utilize the resources that we have. We're going to find new ways to extract resources. We're going to be okay. Life isn't that bad. The planet is fine. And the only way that the planet becomes not fine. The only way that humans become a threat is when we start to allow ourselves to be convinced by technocrats and transhumanists and anti-humanists and pretty much homicidal, psychopathic 
maniacs that we are destroying the world, that we are diseased, that carbon is, is a pollutant, basically making the fundamental foundation of life a threat to life. But life isn't a threat to life. Stopping growth, stopping expansion, stopping development, stopping adaptation, stopping innovation is death. That is what is going to cause our extinction. Not having children, not another factory, not another plastic bag. It is the pale green dot tonight on The Secret Teachings. I'm Ryan Gable. Subscribe to our archive to get access to all of our shows. Email us at rdgable at yahoo.com. Check out my book, The Technological Elixir, where I break a lot of this down. The book is on our website. You can purchase it in digital or soft cover. And coming up in the next segment, our friend Wes from Conspirifact is here to talk about probably what uh, is is really the foundation for um, uh, an altar or a shrine to the gods of this new world order, to the gods of this new reset, this great reset. Uh, a few things could exemplify this push than, uh, you know, Climate Pledge Arena up in Washington State with focus on green initiatives and the Kraken and the octopus, the, the Cthulhu. We're going to talk with Wes about that in the next segment. So don't go anywhere. Stay with us right here on The Secret Teachings. There's more after this. The Secret Teachings is finally available on nearly every podcast platform from Apple and Spreaker to Spotify and Podcast Addict. Also available as TST Weekends, our one-hour Saturday morning show. Search the show name and start listening today for free. And if you want to avoid those annoying ads, visit www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe to our ad-free archive with some of our older shows included. You'll get a private RSS feed and access to the Montage Archive and my digital books. Subscribe today or listen to the free show archive at thesecretteachings.info. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, grab a physical and digital copy of his books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. Visit thesecretteachings.info. So, you love talk radio, then you'll love TalkStreamLive.com. TalkStream Live is always on, 24-7, with the best streaming talk shows. Find your favorite talkers and discover some new ones. It's free, readily available online, or on mobile with any smartphone or tablet. Finding your favorite talk shows all in one place has gotten a whole lot easier. Just go to TalkStreamLive.com. Be sure to download the free apps from Google Play or the iTunes App Store. You are listening to The Secret Teachings. To contact the show, to share information and your opinion, or give recommendations, email rdgable at yahoo.com. Visit the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings, or visit the website at www.thesecretteachings.info. 
People ask me all the time what they can do to take control of their lives when facing a daily onslaught of dis- and misinformation. I say take control of your body and mind with water filtration. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on our affiliate sponsor link with Pro One Water Filters at the top of the page to search for a water filter for the home, camping trip, and even the shower. They filter countless contaminants and make a wonderful gift for friends, family, and yourself. That's Pro One Water Filters at thesecretteachings.info. You're listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. This is David John Oates from reversespeech.com. You are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. This transmission is coming to you from the space between heaven and hell. It's KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. back to the secret teachings radio broadcast i'm your host ryan gable thank you so much for joining us whenever and wherever you are listening around the world if you'd like to contact the show you can email us at rdgable at yahoo.com check out our archive at the secret teachings.info it is earth day 2022 tonight the pale green dot is the name that i've used to describe what we are trying to portray to you this evening. You know, Earth Day brings with it an almost carefree, joyous celebration of nature and to honor the planet. We have T-shirts and signs and food and festivals. But, you know, we really don't think a lot about the T-shirts and the signs and the, the things that we use to celebrate Earth Day that really aren't that environmentally friendly. And, uh, you know, we have reusable bags. We've talked about before on this show, reusable bags don't actually save the planet. You'd actually have to reuse those cotton bags up to a thousand times for them to be environmentally friendly. Plastic is not something I think we should be throwing in rivers and on the street, but plastic is also much more environmentally friendly, not only than a cotton bag, but even than a paper bag. When you look at the data and you look at the statistics and the energy costs and all that that gets factored into it. I tend to feel that Earth Day, not that the average person feels that they are superior to the rest of us, but I feel that Earth Day portrays this sense of since the Earth is dying, since the Earth is falling apart, we're all going to die. What we should do is get some t-shirts, get some signs, and that'll fix everything. 
But I, I think we are, I think we're deluding ourselves. I think we, we're, you know, the, we have this idea that the planet is, is, is dying, so we should just basically allow it to die and go down with the ship. And in the meantime, we can make some money and feel better about ourselves for, you know, having Earth Day. I, especially when you go back to the 20th century and, and you look at the report from Iron Mountain in the 60s, the Stanford Research Institute, you look at uh, the, uh, the first global revolution, a publication from the Club of Rome, where, where they all say that, and this is a quote from the Club of Rome in 1991, in searching for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine, and the like would fit the bill. Uh, basically, throughout the 20th century, we've had governments, think tanks, corporations, and billionaires tell us that in order to reshape society, we needed to tell the public that global warming, resources, food, water, etc. were going to be scarce, toxic, and polluted, and then utilize public fear and genuineness for something to change in order to reshape society and obtain absolute full-spectrum dominance control. That's why Earth Day concerns me. That's why environmentalism and green movements concern me. And the same thing with you know people that are environmentalists, particularly people that are more progressive, tend to be uh, you know huge supporters of continuing uh, virus restrictions and mitigation. But uh, it's funny because you know all the masks and all the the shields and all the the gloves and all the things we use to mitigate the virus has now caused a a, tr- a larger trash problem in most cities. That's not environmentally friendly. That's not environmentally sustainable. I, I don't think there's any place, at least in the last couple of years, that really exemplifies all of these different elements from environmentalism to pandemics to the Great Reset than this little place up in Seattle, Washington. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, what they call the Climate Pledge Arena. We've discussed this on the show before. In 2018, Oakview Group, an arena management company, got an opportunity to develop a very luxurious, expansive, ultra-modern stadium arena in uptown Seattle when the NHL announced they're going to bring a team there. So they decided, uh, the CEO of the group wanted to work not just to, to building this very nice, updated, modern stadium, but he wanted to dedicate it to, quote, the cause of our planet. And on, on that subject, the CEO of the, the Oakview group, Tim Luecki, uh, says that Jeff Bezos was basically uh, involved in the the foundation of this, and that Amazon was actually gonna they were gonna support this arena, but then they thought that's not a good idea because Amazon has this really bad reputation. So let's get other companies, let's get airlines and Starbucks to sponsor this this stadium, which they do. That these these companies sponsor the Climate Pledge Arena. So the arena basically is solar panels, electric stoves, that they bring rainwater in to make the ice, which is kind of cool. And they, they say it's environmentally friendly, it's zero carbon emissions and all this stuff, and it's supposed to be you know, the, helping save a dying planet. And at the center of all of this is the sports team, the Seattle Kraken. And I, I, I've, had, I've had a very easy time looking at this and thinking it's basically a shrine to Cthulhu. And it's basically what people call the New World Order, the Great Reset, vaccine mandates and masks and all this stuff incorporated into this this altar centered around a sports team. All the cheering, all the standing, all the sitting, all this. It's just it's ritualistic. It's ceremonial. And the image, the sigil that's being charged is the Kraken, the Hydra, the Cthulhu and all these other environmentalist 
elements. And, and to me, it, it just, it felt strange. It felt very, very, you know, almost uneasy. Now, I've never been there. I grew up in Tampa, so I've been to tons of hockey games in Tampa. I've been to hockey games other places. I've never been to Seattle. But our guest this evening has been. And uh, he messaged me a few days ago and said he got to go to his first NHL game. He went to a Seattle Kraken game. And uh, I wanted to get him on the show tonight on Earth Day to talk about what, what it was like going to uh, the Climate Pledge Arena and, and what he saw there. Uh, our guest this evening is Wes, the host of Conspirifact over on Aftermath.media. Wes, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I've been on your show before. Uh, it's really nice to talk to you again. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your first NHL game and, and what, what you saw at that Climate Pledge Arena. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. It's exciting. Um, and that's the same word I'd used for going to my first NHL game. It's really exciting. Uh, it's a really just great environment. Uh, the fans were great. Uh, I was kind of worried. I didn't know, you know what kind of kind of fans to be dealing with because I've you know been to games where people want to start arguments. But uh, we showed up there. Everyone was very friendly. And uh, immediately when we walked in, it was just breathtakingly beautiful arena. And uh, you could tell it was very modern. And there was definitely a very aqua kind of a theme going on. Uh, they had screens built into the wall that would project DGI images of, of like fish and divers underneath the, the ocean. And um, the nickname they gave the arena is the deep. And that was kind of the, the, the imagery that they would use throughout the game would be um, on the jumbotrons during like the kind of the intro hype video. There was cracking eyes that would show up and uh, throughout uh, throughout the, the whole video, they would it kept coming back to the ocean, showing the ocean, and throughout the whole game because the game was actually they called it Green Night. It was dedicated to Earth Day, and so the Kraken wore these special green jerseys during warm up, and then they auctioned them. I think they raised like ninety thousand dollars for charity that night. Um, but the irony wasn't lost because they wore these jerseys once for fifteen minutes for warm ups. And then they never wore them again. Uh, and I'm trying to find the, the crest on there and send it to you because the crest had some really interesting imagery on that jersey. But, um, oh, no, it was, it was very, uh, very breathtaking when you walk in at first. But I, I, as I was walking through, because it has a sign up saying, it was, I think it uh, was the world's first net zero emissions arena. I saw that and I went, net zero, that comes up a lot. That's, that's something that uh, Clyde Lewis on Ground Zero always brings up. And uh, so I had to send that to you. Um, yeah, what have you what have you read about the arena so far? Do you have any other insights in that? Because for me, it was kind of like I wasn't expecting it to be so so strong on the, the imagery and the messaging behind zero emissions. I just I, I knew it was going to be about the climate because of the name Climate Pledge. I just didn't realize it was going to be that intense. Yeah, from what I've read about this, um, according to uh, estimates, depending on the venue or the event for other sports stadiums, they say 50 to 80 percent of the carbon footprint comes from spectator travel. And uh, I, I read this in an article from Yahoo Sports, and it said that the, the Seattle Kraken hockey team is, quote, the hockey team that wants to save the world. So they I guess they're trying to get uh, at that stadium a lot of fans and, and other people that um, even people that work there to take uh, public transit or other other methods of getting to the games and uh, that the team you know also wants to uh i guess use uh, more efficient modes of transportation and all that and i mean i like the the water uh using the water from rain and turning that into the ice that's that's kind of cool 
Um, obviously, you can't do that in, in other places. So, I, I mean, I read about all these things. I read about the net zero. What, what really got me, Wes, was that uh, St- Starbucks is a, I don't know if you saw it there, but Starbucks and Alaska Airlines are t- and, and Amazon are two and three of the biggest contributors to the arena. And I find it just like those jerseys they wore for a few minutes and auctioned. I found it weird that a green space, that a net zero stadium can can partner with Amazon, Starbucks and Alaska Airlines to pledge to support the climate. That just doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah, yeah, it's funny because actually I, I looked over to my brother who went to the game with me, and I, I uh, made kind of a, a wisecrack. I said, well, why isn't it called Starbucks Arena? I figured that's what it would be called. And the, the jerseys they were wearing that night for warm-ups were a Starbucks green. And they have, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a building, and it has like these barrels in the middle of the crest. If you go and just, just Google, if you have a chance, you have a, com- a computer in front of you, just uh, Google Seattle Kraken green night warm-up jerseys. And there's some pictures of the players out skating. Uh, you and the fans who are listening at home wanted to listen, or sorry, wanted to see the jerseys I was referring to that they wore. Just just uh, Google uh, Seattle Kraken green night warm-up jerseys, and there's some pictures online of what they were wearing. And the, 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 there's some interesting imagery. See, I'm not, I'm not uh, an expert on imagery like you are. And, and symbolism. So I just noticed that there were some weird things inside of the crest. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you what they were, what they were, what they meant. Uh, I just thought that that was interesting. And um, yeah, you know what? Uh, another thing I noticed when we rolled up, I parked in the, the uh, official parking garage they have just in front of the arena. And I was kind of joking with, with uh, my friend and my brother as we rolled up. I said, watch a parking's going to be 50 bucks or something ridiculous like that. And sure enough, when I rolled up because I didn't have a special partnership app or whatever, I was like, yeah, 50 bucks, anything but cash. $50 to park. My God. <laughs> yeah, I, I did the I did the math real quick and it ended up being like like twelve fifty an hour or something like that for the amount of time we were there. And I thought, you know what? It's worth it to have my car parked in an area where it's not going to get vandalized or right, broken right. into. Uh, I drive an old police car and police aren't exactly the most popular human beings in Seattle. So... Uh, I was grateful for that at least, but um, yeah, I, I kind of picked up on that. I thought, you know what, there is um, there's a definite push for them to, to get people to, to get away from driving and doing those other things. And um, yeah, like you said, if Starbucks, Alaska Airlines sponsoring Climate Pledge Arena, you know, one airplane, how, how much carbon per flight gets burned? Starbucks, how many paper cups do they waste and, and plastic lids in a day? They were and, uh, they were actually going to call it Amazon Arena, and then they realized, well, that that seems hypocritical. So let's call it Climate Pledge, Pledge Arena. <laughs> exactly, um, and they even had a, you know how during like uh, TV timeouts when there's commercial, uh, they'll do something fun. They had a challenge where they had these two women do a, a cup stack where they had to like make a, a pyramid out of, the, out of these aluminum solo cups and then restack them up into one single stack, and um, they kind of announced that this is part of our goal to be the first arena to have uh, uh, getting, gotten rid of all single-use plastics by the year 2024. I kind of I, I, I joked about that one. I was like, why not 2022? What's, what's taking so long? <laughs> um, and then I thought about it. I was like, well, wait a minute. If, they, if they're going to give everyone beer and drinks in these, these uh, aluminum cups, that's going to that's gonna create a nightmare because, I mean, if they're going to want to keep the cups there at the arena – but right. I have to wash them, and now that's gonna that's gonna require water and and soap and all these other things. And, and unless they're using like 
really good environmentally friendly soap, that's going to that's gonna cause a problem. Not, so, not to mention, I, I'm sure with having that many cups, you'd have to dry them. So then there's more energy to dry all those cups. Yeah, exactly. I read, um, I read something on their website it said uh, about Starbucks. It said, quote, uh, well, it said Starbucks is meant to, quote, strengthen the community and advance inclusion and equity. So they're, they're also talking about inclusion and equity on the, on the website for the arena, the Climate Pledge Arena. Did you see any of that stuff there? Because I, I guess I read earlier they were talking about having politically correct gender-neutral bathrooms at the arena. Did you see that? No, no. All the bathrooms I went into were, uh, they had uh, men's bathroom, women's bathroom. Okay. And glad you brought that up because another thing I laughed at, I walked in, I expected there to be the, just the regular like hand dryers, you know, the, the air dryers. They didn't have that, at least the bathroom I went into. They had paper towels. And really? The, the trash cans were overflowing with paper towels. And I was cracking up. I was like, man, they're really, really taking their time on making this place completely environmentally friendly. Now, the paper could have been recycled paper. But it felt like just a standard, you know, like the, the white paper towels that kind of like are folding, like kind of zigzag patterns. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, they had some of those and just like the, the machines that would kind of spill out the, the paper towels just a little bit. Well, maybe they that's just enough. They, they, they spent all their money on the metal cups. They spent all their money on the, <laughs> you know, on building the stadium. So they're just like, we, we don't have enough money to buy the, uh, the air dryers. We got to do the paper towels. That's why fi- parking's $50. Trying yeah. to save up to get those uh, air dryers. One thing... I saw that was really cool because we were on, um, we kind of, we sat in kind of like the nosebleed area, section 123 is where we sat, but to get to it, we had to go on an elevator to get to like the special, um, club level. So all the luxury boxes where like you can reserve a room where you have like catering service and everything. We were on that level, but we just sat in standard seats. And so we went for a walk during intermissions to kind of walk around and see everything. And one of the things we noticed was that there was this uh, sign that had like, uh, it was only showing up uh, advertisements. It was there for like scoreboard reasons, but it wasn't an electric sign instead of having, you know, like, like how Jumbotron would have like pixels or like an inch wide. And instead of that, it had these little about inch wide, like metal sequins that were dual sided. One side was blue, one side was white and they would flip back and forth. And those little discs would act like a pixel basically. So uh, I got some video of it because it was really trippy because you, you could hear it moving as it would go. Uh, and so they'd, they'd flip over and they'd spell out something, like do an advertisement or whatever. I saw that. I thought, huh, I guess that's another way they're trying to like save on electricity. So instead of having a screen powered up, they just flip these little sequins that saves on power. But then I laughed because there's whole sections of the arena that have have screens on them where they are projecting constantly like images of a reef or uh, underwater. So it feels like you're underwater, but you really aren't. So then, so what about, so those other screens that are switching on and off, like I'm thinking, are those screens even necessary or are they just a virtue signal that look, we have screens that switch on and off when otherwise they wouldn't even need those screens because they're focused on, you know, the, the symbolism and the imagery of, of the, the hockey team that to me, that's just like one of those things where it's just a fallacy. Like if it's like yeah. the, the economic broken window fallacy, we want to create more jobs. So let's break the window and that'll give the window maker a, a job to do. It, it doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah. Because you're cre- creating waste because people don't usually think about recycling the glass. They just throw it out. <laughs> well, let, let me, glass is recyclable. Let me ask you this. So w- why is it, and this maybe doesn't have necessarily a lot to do with the arena itself, but why is it that Starbucks and climate pledge arena 
would be interested in, uh, you know, inclusion and equity. What is inclusion and equity in regards to goal number five of the uh, the UN 17 goals for sustainability? What does that have to do with the environment? What does that have to do with the green movement? I, I don't understand that. Well, what do gender neutral bathrooms have to do with sa- saving the planet, Wes? Well, it's it's virtue signaling, right? So by coming out and saying that you care about something like that, uh, if you say that you care about the underdog, that's that's really in society now. That's that's the biggest underdog would be people that don't identify as a binary gender role. Uh, so if you come out and you just say that you care about them and you say that you want to make them feel included, then it makes you look like a better person. I, I feel like that's really well they're they're going for. And um, you know something actually I noticed and I think you you kind of by you asking that question it kind of explained it to me as far as like equality and inclusion. I noticed something as we were walking around the outside of the arena. When we were first inside, I noticed there was a big glass wall and it looked like there was a sidewalk aligned up with it. I thought that's weird. People can just look in and see the game. And as we were walking out, I looked through that window and you can see the crowd from outside in this area. So it's like a standing room area. So you can see the crowd. You can't see the ice, but you can see one of the jumbotrons perfectly. So people could, if they wanted to, and they couldn't, if they couldn't get into a game, they could still stand outside, look in, and watch the game on the Jumbotron and see the crowd and, and be included from the outside. So you can't be in the game, but you can still watch the game on the Megatron for free. I thought that was kind of interesting That's, when I noticed that. I've never seen that anywhere. I mean, I've been to a lot of hockey games. I've also never paid $50 for parking. The most I, ever, I mean, I've been to the playoffs. <laughs> I've been to the Stanley Cup final. And the most I ever paid was like 20 bucks. For, for parking 50, 50 bucks sounds like it's not just like they're trying to recoup their the costs of the stadium it, it sounds like they're trying to encourage people not to drive for sure i mean that's excessive yeah. even yeah. for seattle yeah. well and the, i bought the tickets back in august on opening night because I, I wanted to go and i wanted to make sure i could go and get three seats all together and uh they were two hundred dollars a pop for, for basically no 200 man that's like going to a toronto maple leaf game that's a, yeah. that's very expensive well, I wanted to sit lower level down behind the, the benches, but those were on opening day were $2,500 a ticket. That's like the Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I said. I was like, this has to be wrong. And I was going on Facebook and going to the Avalanche fan page and saying, guys, is this normal? And, um, but the, the funny thing is now is that uh, I was checking on tickets for the game at, right before the game started. And I thought, what if I got like one ticket just, just kind of in that lower section? And they were going for like 150. Well, I know that. 200. I, I mean, uh, you, I mean you, you follow hockey, Wes. You like hockey. This was your first NHL game. Uh, like I said, I've been to a lot. And I've always, because I grew up in Tampa, I always followed the Tampa Bay Lightning. And Tampa Bay's won the Stanley Cup two years in a row now, back to back. And I can go to a game in Tampa. I mean, it's not going to be glass seats, but I can go to a game in Tampa for not much more than it cost any other year. It's like maybe a hundred bucks, which is it, it, compared to Seattle. Seattle hasn't won back-to-back cups. Why are tickets twenty-five hundred dollars to sit on the glass, or you know, two hundred bucks to sit in the nosebleeds? That's that's excessive. That's outrageous. Well, Seattle's expensive like that. Uh, that is true. Yes, yeah, Seattle is. Yeah. The few times I've visited, uh, that's that's one of the things I've I've noticed is that parking is expensive. Uh, a typical parking garage, you're dropping about fifteen dollars to twenty dollars an hour, uh, and then they usually have like a daily cutoff rate. Uh, so, it, it's a it's an expensive city, and so I, my thought process on it was, well, maybe it's because the, the, they knew that the Avalanche were going to be a good team, so they wanted to charge the extra money, and they're they're trying to 
maximize profitability and people paid for it. I, I mean, I would see some empty seats here and there, but for the most part, I'd say the arena was about um, 75% full. Well, I've got, um, I've got a couple more questions for you specifically about the stadium. We have to take a break though. Can you hold over onto the next segment? Certainly can. All right. Sounds good. Wes from Conspirafact over on Aftermath. FM. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Uh, Wes is going to share with us some more of the things that he saw at the Climate Pledge Arena. You know, we've talked about Climate Pledge Arena before, and uh, we're finally getting to talk to somebody who went there. I think actually somebody called into a radio show I was on, and they said they drove by it, and it was just very eerie. There was something off about it. It's, I mean, whether it's the green movement or equity and inclusion for women and girls, like I don't know how that fits into environmentalism. They've they put it all into this stadium, all into this arena, and they've directed all of that energy on the Kraken, on the Cthulhu. We're going to talk more about that with Wes when we come back from break. Again, I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. There's more after this. Stay with us. Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. I'm Ryan Gable of The Secret Teachings, bringing you health, history, symbolism, and of course, black goo, right here on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. Release the curtain. The Secret Teachings is finally available on nearly every podcast platform, from Apple and Spreaker to Spotify and Podcast Addict. Also available is TST Weekends. Search the show name and start listening today for free. If you want to avoid those annoying ads, subscribe to our ad-free archive with our oldest shows, a private RSS feed, our montage archive, and Ryan's digital books. Visit thesecretteachings.info. People ask me all the time what they can do to take control of their lives when facing a daily onslaught of dis- and misinformation. I say take control of your body and mind with water filtration. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on our affiliate sponsor link with Pro One Water Filters at the top of the page to search for a water filter for the home, camping trip, and even the shower. They filter countless contaminants and make a wonderful gift for friends, family, and yourself. That's Pro One Water Filters at thesecretteachings.info. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. For a lot longer than most podcasts have been around, The Secret Teachings has been at the forefront of unique investigation into both the mundane and the extraordinary. Critical thought and controlled speculation allowed us to determine that the much-anticipated UAP report would be vague, unexplained, and would simply imply the need for defense against national security threats. We determined that sonic weapons were the cause of Havana Syndrome a full year before CNN acknowledged the same. We told you about the mind-controlled magic, sex slavery, and intellectual theft in the music industry long before Britney Spears spoke out about her conservatorship, and we've been removed from radio for refusing to censor our show over international child trafficking networks and sex cults long before Epstein didn't kill himself. This has been done with no budget, only your support, and a will to learn and succeed. And you can continue to be a part of The Secret Teachings journey as we broadcast Monday through Friday after lighting the void with Joe Roop right here on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. This is The Secret Teachings. 
If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash the secret teachings. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Welcome back to The Secret Teachings radio broadcast. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. The final segment tonight, on a Friday, April 22nd, into Saturday, April 23rd, 2022, it is Earth Day. I've termed the show tonight the Pale Green Dots. Because we've been told for decades now that the earth is getting browner and there's more flooding and more fires and more natural disasters like hurricanes. And when you look at the data, there's actually less fire. There's actually less flooding. The only time that we find that there's uh, increases in climate-related issues is when we look at financial and economic aspects of it because we're building bigger houses and we have more expensive things and we're building them in fire lanes and in flood paths. And overall though, uh, you know, life has gotten much better. We live longer. We, we're more literate. Uh, things are cleaner. You know, the environment's actually less polluted today than it was 50 to a hundred years ago. Uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of really great things that, that civilization has brought us safety, security, and a lot of things, uh, that we're told that we need to rely on government or corporations for, and, it's kind of a complex issue, but it, it's strange when we hear that environmental issues, uh, the green movement, is mixed in with other social and uh, virtue signaling subjects such as inclusivity and equity. I, I don't understand how making the environment a cleaner place has anything to do with helping women or helping children or helping LGBTQIA people. It's almost as if we're taking issues that aren't necessarily issues. They're small issues. We're blowing them up to be large issues. And we're taking small minority issues and groups and using them as shields to advance political agendas. And I really don't think that there's a better place that represents everything from the Great Reset and Davos to the United Nations and their goals for sustainability to the Club of Rome, the report from Iron Mountain, just decades of corporate think tanks, government organizations, government think tanks, uh, billionaires, etc., all saying that we need to use the environment as a means by which to reform society to obtain full spectrum dominance and control over society. That this has been, you know, the 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 stated published goal for decades now. And when we look up into uh, Seattle, Washington, we find this Climate Pledge Arena that we've discussed before, and we're talking with Wes, friend of ours from the radio show podcast Conspirafact, about uh, his experience at this stadium, uh, what he saw, and uh, maybe what is, is different in real life as opposed to what was initially reported about this stadium, that they're, have, they're using solar panels, electric stoves. I guess, Wes, they're also using... Um, they're using they're taking all the food that's supposedly locally sourced and they're going to donate the leftovers. I mean, that's a good idea, right? Donating leftovers and turning rainwater into ice. And I mean, all that sounds good. I, I don't have an issue with that. But my issue is thinking metal cups, like you said, is practical or, you know, wearing a jersey for warm up and then auctioning it off for green, you know, gr- green day or, you know, uh, for Earth Day. Like that's that's a logical or rational thing. It's just a lot of 
what psychologists call virtue signaling in order to obtain social credit. And, and, and they say in the psychological literature, people that virtue signal are either completely or borderline narcissistic and psychopathic. And that concerns me when the people that are doing this type of virtue signaling are companies like Amazon, companies like Starbucks, companies like Alaska Airlines that are sponsoring a net zero carbon free green hockey arena. It's like the ultimate bread and circus. It's like the ultimate gladiator sport. It's like the ultimate uh, shrine. And at the center of that shrine is the God Cthulhu. What, what do you think about all of this? Um, no, I think that's a really good uh, analogy of everything because I, I got that vibe when we, we went in because actually uh, something that creeped out my brother and my friend that went with me uh, was at the beginning of the game when they uh, finished the hype video, a large uh, tentacle, uh, kind of sculpture kind of a thing, and then uh, a bunch of other, it looks like shards of, of ice that were shooting up, were all on strings, and they came down from the rafters, and then they aligned it so it, it landed. So it looked like the tentacle was coming up out of center ice and breaking up out through the ice. And then the skaters all came out and, you know, skated around and they announced the opening line and all that. And uh, it, it definitely, it felt like it was a shrine to like, you know, the Kraken or like you said, Cthulhu and um, you know, calling it the deep, right? You know, that's where Cthulhu resides is in the deepest parts of the ocean. The abyss. And the abyss. Yeah. And so it, it kind of had that vibe. I kind of thought, well, you know, Seattle is, is kind of, obviously it's, it's, it recognizes itself as a, as an ocean town, but really it, it technically isn't because it's on Puget Sound. The, the true Pacific Ocean is several miles away, but they, they recognize themselves as being a coastal town because um, you know, the, the water is all seawater that comes in. And it's, it's, it's open. That big, it kind of opens up. And um, yeah, I just, uh, I, I kind, of, kind of shook my head sometimes. Like there, there was a big promotion there for impossible meat. And they were even talking about like, hey, try the new impossible chicken nuggets. And I was like, no, not. <laughs> yet, yet we have Bill Gates in Seattle, right? And Bill Gates' favorite uh, food is a hamburger. But he gets to tell us to eat the impossible burger. Yeah. Well, that's because he does carbon offsets oh, to make up for the oh, fact okay. that he flies around in his, his uh, private jet. So well, he pays people to go and plant trees for him. I read that uh, to reach the net zero at the stadium the team is also purchasing carbon offsets. Did you see anything about that? I did not. I thought they'd be bragging about that if they were doing that. Like this stadium buys this many millions or billions of dollars in carbon offsets. That's, that's why they have the paper towels in the bathroom, Wes, is they're buying the carbon yeah. offsets. <laughs> <laughs> makes, perfect, yeah, just, makes perfect sense. Go ahead. Yeah, I just figured they'd have the, the, the you know, the um, hand, I only call them hand dryer, the, blow dryers or whatever for the hands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just figured they'd have those. Um, I, I mean, they take electricity to power, but you know, I, I figured with a modern arena, they would do that. And I just kind of laughed as I'm walking going, Oh, still doing paper towels. Well, cool. Here, here's the thing that gets me is like, I, I, I understand if someone listens to like you or my analysis of, I've done shows on this stadium in the past. It, it sounds like we're just saying that there's this symbolism there that doesn't, you know, it, it, it it's, it doesn't have, you know, um, or it has this relevance that isn't really there, but it, it like I, I grew up in Tampa. So I go to these Tampa Bay lightning games all the time as a kid, I went to the playoffs, Stanley cup final, 
and they have the Tesla coils in the stadium and they shoot out electricity. It's really, really cool. Hockey, hockey games are just, you can feel the energy as I'm, I'm sure you did when you were there in Seattle. And um, if the Tampa Bay or St. Pete Times Forum, as it used to be called when I went there, now it's Amelie Arena. If that arena had all of these different environmental components to it, and if it also had, you know, uh, the, the corporation sponsoring it that were all about inclusivity and social justice, and then I would say, well, maybe the lightning bolt relates to Zeus and the gods, and then there's some kind of underlying meaning, but uh, they, they don't. So it, it's just a cool image. It's a cool, you know, electrical display, and it's the Tampa Bay Lightning, to give an example. But up in Seattle, if it were just the Kraken, and they didn't have all these environmental green aspects to the stadium and, and to the team, then it wouldn't feel so dark as far as I'm concerned. It would just be like, well, that's a cool intro, the tentacles, the crack in the team. Like, that's, that's cool. But when they're making it about environmentalism, when they're making it about inclusivity, then it becomes this weird global government, UN, Davos thing, which then centers around the symbol of the Kraken with all these tentacles, and, and that's when it becomes weird to me. Wes, what do you think? I agree. And because something I noticed to kind of add to that was that you go to a team in the NHL and they always base their, their team name off of something that's local, or they, at least they try to. So if they relocate, they, they try to, to change the name to make it fit. So, for example, the Arizona Coyotes were once the Winnipeg Jets because Winnipeg is an Air Force town for Canada. So when they moved down, they didn't stay the Jets, they became the Coyotes. Cause it's, it's more of a local thing. You know, the, the Quebec Nordiques, when they moved, they didn't, they didn't become the Colorado Nordi- uh, Nordiques. Pardon me. They became the Colorado Avalanche. And so all the teams, they basically choose their name based on something that's local and something that's realistic. You know, so Tampa Bay Lightning. You know, I, I've never been to Tampa, but I'm sure with a bay like that, we've got the light, there's a lot of lightning. Cap- you get, yep. Yeah. Sorry about the lightning capital of the world, but yeah. Yeah, you get lightning and thunder, and so I, I kind of picked up on it. You know, I'm not sure which Rangers they're referring to, but the New York Rangers, right? You know, New York Islanders. It's, it's something that's local and something that's real, something that you can, you can usually understand. This is the first time I've seen a team come in that used a mythological creature as their team name. Uh, I, I, and I, I, I always kind of wondered why they picked that when they announced it. And I'm like, we're going to be called the Kraken. And I went, why would you pick the name Kraken? Uh, because the octopus um, imagery is more synonymous with uh, Detroit because they throw octopus. Yeah, they throw. I was thinking that they throw octopus yeah. on the ice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because as a, uh, a symbol for the old days when they were just the original six in the NHL and you had to win eight games in the playoffs to win the Stanley Cup. So that's, there's that, that symbolism. Yeah, so the, the, the eight tentacles. So I thought, well, if you're going to call yourself the Kraken, that's probably going to piss off the Red Wings fans. And um, I, don't know, I, I just thought that was kind of uh, interesting that they would go with that name. And it's the first team I've, I've noticed in my observation of the NHL that went with something that's completely mythological and uh, kind of went full bore on it, too. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I honestly didn't even think of that. And, um, you know, it, it, again, it's like it, it wouldn't mean as much. It wouldn't matter if the whole focus of this of this arena Climate Pledge Arena wasn't based on like UN directives, the World Economic Forum, uh, social justice movements. It's weird how all those things get incorporated into the image of the Kraken as this this multi-armed tentacle-like uh, monster. 
I mean, we think of like Charlie Robinson, a friend of mine, he wrote The Octopus of Global Control. Uh, we think of Spectre from James Bond, the, the tentacles in every aspect of society and banking and economics and schools and, you know, and manufacturing. It's just like it controls everything. And here's the U.N., here's the world government, everything just incorporated into the image of the Kraken. I mean, it basically makes the arena like every sporting arena. Everything that you go to is basically like a, a ritual. But when the, the image of the ritual with all these other elements, it basically makes it like a tabernacle or a shrine to this like ancient god. And, and that is just a very disturbing thing, not to mention, and this is the big question I wanted to ask you, and if you got to go, I understand. I read initially, Wes, that this was going to, um, this, this stadium was going to demand that there would be absolute compliance with all COVID-19 policies, whether they were you know, federally enacted or state enacted. So they, they originally said that every 12-year-old guest and up needed to be fully vaccinated they needed to have booster shots. They needed to have proof of vaccination further uploaded to their clear health pass uh, uh, um, uh, app and that you had to wear a mask at all times. And they also said avoid crowding, which is strange that you can avoid crowding in a stadium that holds 17, 18,000 people. But w- what did you experience in regards to that? Did you have to wear a mask? Did they have signs up? Did they have check-ins? Did they have temperature checks? Like what, what exactly was the COVID aspect of all this? They actually uh, canceled that with the new updates in Washington back in March. Okay, that's which good. made me happy. That's good because I had read up and they kept saying even actually now if you were to go and check on Ticketmaster if you were to look at tickets for Seattle Kraken they have a thing popping up saying COVID compliance policy you need to accept this before you can buy tickets and uh, what they had made clear back when I originally bought the tickets was that you either needed to be fully vaccinated and provide proof of your vaccination or you needed to have passed a test showing that you were negative within 72 hours. And that was something I was freaking out about because I was like, we'll have to go and coordinate and get tests and do all this stuff. And when they announced that they were going to lift all the restrictions, I went, awesome, great. And last I checked on the website, they said that there would be areas that may require masking and that they would provide them. So I just told everyone in the car, Look, guys, just take a mask with you. So I just I took a little neck gaiter with me in case I needed it. I never had to pull it out. So look, they had lifted that. But at one point in time, they were requiring everyone to wear a mask, even though COVID wasn't that bad in Washington at the time. I've, I found the, quote, avoid crowding recommendation uh, the, the strangest. I mean, the stadium holds like 18,000 people. How do you avoid crowding? How do you social distance in that? I know. I mean, like I was having conversations with people like three rows behind me <laughs> we were that crowd. And my knee was like in this guy's ear and I just apologized to him. I said, look, man, I'm six, seven. I'm sorry if I kick your seat. And he's like, it's fine. He goes, it's the nosebleeds, dude. He goes, it's, it's just how it is. He goes, we're, we're, we're going to get real comfortable real fast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's just weird. Like here in Tucson, when, you know, people were pouring out the Russian vodka a few months ago, a few weeks ago, I went to a liquor store just to see if they had Russian vodka. And it was the only place a liquor store West was the only place in all of Tucson that I've gone that wanted me to wear a mask. And I'm thinking it's a liquor <laughs> store. And it's like with this, with the sporting events, like what do you get there? You get, you know, you get your, your processed food, you get your chips and you get your hot dogs and you get your beer. And it, like if people are concerned about their health, they, people should maybe be concerned about what they're eating at these sporting events. It's all just like a big theater is what it sounds like. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you guys. I know in Oregon two years ago, Kate Brown, our governor, uh, told us that alcohol 
helps spread the coronavirus. And we were sitting there going, really? So the consumption of alcohol helps spread it. And then we kind of asked, well, what should we use to clean up the, uh, the surfaces after uh, it, it may have been contaminated? Oh, you can use rubbing alcohol. To clean it. <laughs> so <laughs> I was saying, okay, so you know, you know, people are going to start drinking rubbing alcohol and they're all going to go blind now. That is, that's the biomedical uh, security uh, health theater is what hygiene theater is what that is. Yeah, well, because we had we had some uh, breweries here that had the capability of making sanitizers because there was a huge shortage in Oregon. I think everyone had a shortage, and so uh, we have a lot of beer breweries. So they were taking time away from producing beer, and they started basically producing this extra strong vodka, so to speak that could be used as a surface cleaner. And it just, I thought it was kind of funny. They don't want people drinking alcohol because apparently if you have a beer that's going to spread COVID-19, I, they still never had that explained to me, but you could use concentrated alcohol. That's not food grade to clean the surface. <laughs> Whatever. That's all part of the theater, Wes. Was well, there anything else that, oh, yeah. that you'd like to add? I mean, I noticed one other thing that I, I've talked about before and that's the, uh, the, the actual Climate Pledge Arena text, like at the top of the stadium or on the side of the stadium, is the E in that just three green bars? Or does it actually have a, have a vertical bar connecting the other bars? Oh, that's a good question. Let me, let me look it up real quick. Because the image I saw, it had, um, it had just the three bars. And I thought that was weird because, you know, if you look at the campaign logo for... Uh, Biden-Harris, they used the three red bars, and those three red bars in the 50s were used by the communists. They were called the three red banners, and they encouraged people to build a socialist communist state using those three red banners. It's it's just really interesting that they would choose the three red bars for the Biden-Harris logo, and then this environmental stadium, this progressive stadium, is using the three bars if they are. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at an image. It looks like it's a a mock-up or no, it's a real image from an actual basketball game. Cause they played WNBA games there too. Okay. And now you're right. So the, the ease and climate and pledge are three bars. And, um, I'm actually the image I'm looking at, they even show it where they have climate above pledge. So it's six bars vertically. So then that's, that's known as the three. I mean, if it's red, it, it's known as the three red flags. We also know green movements, are traditionally environmentalist movements are traditionally very authoritarian in nature and relate specifically historically to socialist and communist uh, 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 party dictates like what they're using this to advance a political agenda. It's interesting because the three red banners was the general party line in, in communist China encouraging people to build through the great leap forward a better socialist state. So that kind of makes me think, especially because Biden Harris used the three red bars. It sounds like build back better. And it sounds like they built this stadium to be a shrine to the Great Reset. Yeah, well, it's a four-sided pyramid. Yeah, I know. I, I, I know. I saw that before, and it's like don't, don't they they light it up red or green, just like the uh, letters? I saw it lit up green. You know, obviously climate climate pledge. Yeah, the the um, at the top, the, it says climate pledge arena on each side, and then that's lit up green. Uh, the building itself is kind of a has kind of a blue shine to it. And then everything else is kind of like a silvery uh, metal or uh, all the walls are painted white. And um, the, the reason why they had screens everywhere is so that if they wanted to change the decor of the building for each team that would come to play there, 
they just need to change out the graphics. They wouldn't have to, to move any banners or anything like that. Um, but they great. already had a Stanley Cup banner up there. They had one recognizing the Seattle team that won the Stanley Cup in 1917. That's kind of cool. I mean, I, I, I love hockey. I, I would love to be able to go to every sporting you know, arena and see all the, all the NHL teams. Uh, that, that arena, though, just makes me feel weird. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about your experience. Uh, Wes from Conspirifact, tell us about Conspirifact and where listeners can hear the show. Yeah, Conspirifact is like, it's a conspiracy show that feels more like a morning show. And uh, we post episodes twice a week on aftermath.fm. You can also catch us if you look us up on Spreaker and we have RSS feed so you can get us anywhere you like. Uh, everything gets a weekly at, on for free on other platforms so you can get us uh, uh, kind of a week after the fact so that way the information is not too stale. But um, yeah, uh, subscribe on Aftermath if you want to support us. It's uh, aftermath.fm forward slash conspirifact. That's our special link. And uh, yeah, we always appreciate people coming on and, and commenting and giving us feedback. And I've been on your show before, too. I really appreciate you coming on, like I said. And, uh, I mean, uh, one last question is, did, did you feel that you were saving the environment during the game? No, no. I was, I was too busy screaming at my team trying to get them to score some <laughs> freaking goals. Who, who won? Did the Kraken win or did uh, Colorado? Yeah, they won 3-2. They won I mean, Colorado gave up three goals in the first period. And uh, they scored late in the first and late in the third. And almost tied it up there at the last minute. But... Um, yeah, they they're having an off night. You know, a lot of scratches on on some of the key players, and you know, just kind of like that end of the season, kind of uh, getting things kind of figured out before the playoffs. How is so. Colorado? Is Colorado in? Oh yeah, they've clinched the Western Conference. They've clinched clinched the uh, Central Division. Um, and it's right now it's neck and neck with the Florida Panthers for the the um, President's Trophy. I was just like with with Tampa, like I've watched some, I haven't watched hockey for a while, but I watched some recent games and Tampa lost a few, won a few, lost a few. But then like when it really comes down to it, they just beat Toronto last night, like eight to one or something. It's just, it's that end of the season. It's just a weird time till the playoffs start. Yeah. Yeah, And and, uh, regular season means nothing. Come time for playoffs. Yeah. It's, uh, it's always like those teams are ranked like, like third in their division that that seem to go on and do really well. They, they, They don't win the president's trophy or anything like that. They don't get a whole lot of attention. I'd say with, with Tampa in the last two years, they just kind of come out of nowhere and like win the cup two years in a row. And it, it, no one really expects them to be the most dominant team, but they are. So I, I was, one thing that pissed me off about hockey is now they're, they're into having like the rainbow jerseys and the rainbow ice and they're like hockey's for everybody. And I always thought, you know, growing up watching hockey, the NHL was always promoting hockey for the youth. Like it's always been for everybody. Did hockey stop being for everybody at some point? We need the rainbow to remind us of that. You know, I, that's that kind of irritates me about the NHL that they promoted that. I think that they're just aware of the fact that a majority of the players they have are white men, and they don't want to come across as being insensitive to people who are of a different race or of a different sexual orientation because it's a very masculine sport. So I, I feel like the NHL is just trying to promote it to try and let them know, hey, look, just because we have a bunch of white guys beating the, the crap out of each other on the ice doesn't mean that we don't care about your feelings, which um, – I see the irony in there too, because hockey's never been about feelings. It's been about you know, crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and you know, hear the lamentations of their fans. That's what it's always been about. Well, I, again, I really appreciate you coming on the show, Wes, and uh, uh, it's been a it's been a fun little time here. I'm sorry I held you over a little bit too long, but uh, I enjoyed it, and I'd love to talk to you again sometime. All right. Always a pleasure. We'll have to have you back on uh, Conspiracy Fact sometime soon. All right, sounds good. We'll do it. All right, Wes of Conspiracy Fact. 
Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. All right, there he goes. Wes of Conspirifact. Just check out Conspirifact, C-O-N-S-P-I-R-A-F-A-C-T, Conspirifact. Search it online. You'll find his show. I'm Ryan Gable, and this is The Secret Teachings. It is, uh, it's Earth Day, and we've got just a few minutes left here on the broadcast. Friday night, uh, it always, I always get so excited for the Friday night show. In the last few minutes, it's like I feel like I'm getting a second wind, and I could go for another two, three, four hours. And then I realize, well, it's the end of the week. I need to take a break. I need to I need to go watch some hockey. I need to like disconnect from from what's going on uh, in the world. Uh, it is the pale green dot tonight. Uh, I, I really feel, I truly honestly feel that Earth Day is not so much about the Earth. Earth Day is about making uh, the individual feel as if they are having some kind of positive effect on the environment. They're going to be able to use their reusable bags and their Earth Day t-shirts to save the planet. It's all just kind of um it's all just kind of weird. It's just kind of strange because the planet is not overpopulated or overcrowded, perhaps. There aren't more fires today, there aren't more people dying of climate related issues. If you go to the desert like where I am and you try to make it more moist, you're gonna change the landscape and it's not gonna be the desert anymore. Places that used to be uh, underwater. Uh, are now above water places that are you know jungles might have been deserts at one point i mean we 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 think we we know that egypt used to be a jungle based on robert shock's work or it used to be some kind of like you know very moist tropical uh type of, of of an environment and now it's a desert things change humans are not fully or even i think partially responsible the percentage is so small it's it's not visible on a chart but using the tiny percentage and using people's genuineness and kindness and goodwill and wanting to take care of their environment, both selfless and selfish, it's being used to advance political agendas. It's being used to advance agendas like those of the Club of Rome, using environmentalism in order to take control of all the different aspects, elements, and components of society. In searching for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine, and the like would fit the bill. The Club of Rome wrote that in 1991. And then, of course, a comprehensive social welfare program, blood games, and applied eugenics were proposed in the report from Iron Mountain on the possibility and desirability of peace, that we could only have peace after war if we had some other enemy that would unite us and bring us together. This is kind of like a neocon thing. And that enemy well, was climate change, global warming, environmental issues. You look at the environment, the environment is fine. If we do nothing to the environment, we're still going to be wealthier. We're still going to be safer. We're still going to be um, you know, less likely to, to suffer from uh, climate-related changes. I mean, when things get hot, we turn on the air conditioner. And it's not because humans created the problem. Let's create a, a Band-Aid. Uh, there are, uh, there's a lot of things that, that humans do that aren't bad, but there's a lot more things humans do that are good. And, and besides bad and good, these are just arbitrary terms. What is good is to be desired. And what the UN desires is not necessarily what the rest of us desire. What Davos or the World Economic Forum desire is not necessarily what the rest of us desire. And it just talking with Wes from Conspirifact, it's all these things that are put into the climate pledge arena from the three red banners to the big corporations that support climate initiatives. And then they can just buy carbon offsets to do whatever they want to do. I mean, it shows you the attitude, the mindset and the agenda 
of globalists, of elitists, of corporations. They don't care about the climate. They don't care about the planet. They care about branding themselves as heroes, branding you as the villain, and gaslighting you to think that if you want to save the planet and not be a dirty, diseased human anymore, well, put on your Earth Day shirt, go out and buy environmentally friendly products, and it'll all be better. Just don't have kids, though. Don't have kids, don't procreate, don't have a family. And besides, you know, when we get wealthier, when we get healthier, when we have better sanitation, better, you know, lifestyles, we actually have less kids anyway. So why wouldn't we want a world that is more uh, more advanced in these ways, that is more industrial? We have less children when that happens anyway. If people don't want us to have kids, if they don't want family structures, then we should become wealthier. We should be promoting wealth and success. But that's not the case. I, I think the ultimate aim is a, a scorched earth policy is what it is. It's it's taking the green earth and it's it's burning the whole thing down for control. The pale green dot tonight on The Secret Teachings. Please go to our website, thesecretteachings.info. Subscribe to the archive, buy a book, support what we do, please. It's the only thing that keeps us on air. We're also going to have that fundraiser coming up to uh, to get a new computer. Hopefully a few people already donated. So thank you so much. Thank you for all of you who listen to the show every night, who subscribe, buy a book, check us out on Patreon, buy a water filter through Pro One Water Filters. Sincerely, if it's not for you, we're not here. Have a good weekend. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you on the next broadcast. From this distant vantage point, the Earth might not seem of any particular interest. But for us, it's different. Consider again that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives. This is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings.